Hi friends, welcome to Encouraged and Equipped. On this podcast, we introduce you to the women of Christ Chapel Bible Church. We love being encouraged to live out our faith in Jesus by hearing the stories of women in our church community. We are so glad that you're here. It's rare to meet someone as friendly and disarming as Brooke Seal. After five minutes with her, you just want to be her best friend. We love that she sat down and told us her story. It's full of small town memories, a love for the local church, God's unexpected provision, and arguably the best spring break ever. Grab a cup of coffee, preferably from Crude, and enjoy hanging out with Brooke. I'm so excited to be here today chatting with Brooke Seal. She's one of our favorites and makes me smile. And we're so excited she would come on and share with us your story. So welcome, Brooke. Thank you for having me. I feel I'm I'm a repeat guest. I don't know if the listener will know that. We like we skipped over your episodes. Totally. That's fair. No, uh, but I, I'm a twice. repeat guest. It's such an honor to be here multiple times and to get to sit around this table with a lot of godly women. But today I have to talk about myself. I know. Which is a little different. I know. We've invited her to come and share her story. She's come on some different episodes and talked, certainly shared parts of your life, but you have shared wisdom on different topics. And today we're kind of dig in a little bit and learn more about yeah, I'm you. I'm just going to unveil my my whole soul. <laughs> <laughs> or or maybe just a little. <laughs> yeah, I love the idea of this podcast. I think it's so thoughtful and interesting to just have people on that are involved and, and that you want to build connections with and, and share, sharing your story can be such a vulnerable and scary thing. I think it's also a generational thing, maybe. I think mm-hmm. I, I meet with a lot of um, young people, you know, like early 20s, mid 20s, and I sit down with girls and they'll tell me their whole story, you know, in the first hour of me knowing them. And I'm like, I don't even know your last name, but this is awesome that I now know these deep, intimate things about you. But I think it's such a privilege to mm-hmm. be a listener of stories, but to also share it. And so I hope that these episodes are a blessing to people that listen to them and knowing that I think it can be a great way to build connections, people, you know, being humble enough to share their story and then people also being interested enough to just hear what who could be a total stranger talk about themselves for 30 to 50 minutes. I so, know. But I love the idea. It's so fun. I love it. I love getting to know people. I love hearing their stories. They're so encouraging. Before we jump into your story, I want to start how we do all of our episodes yes. with a question. And it is, what is a little something that has brought you joy lately? That's a great question. Um, I would say, um, I people that know me well know this. I spend a lot of time at one very specific coffee shop in Fort Worth, and it's called Crude coffee we may have already talked about it it's on south main yes we've already talked about it today shout out to crude if you're ever looking for me like if you don't hear from me and like my phone's not picking up just go to crude and they would have either seen me within the last few hours or i will be there Uh, but i love going to crude good friends with all the people that work there and see a bunch of the regulars that are in there all the time and it's fun to go into like a neutral space like that and have friendships with what would be strangers if i didn't see them in the same coffee shop day after day or week after week. So crude is my place. I love it so much. That's your place, your people, your coffee. Yeah. What do you order? Yes, yes. Okay, well, crude has the best coffee in Fort Worth. And that is not my opinion. That is a straight fact. <laughs> um, so I bounce around on the menu. Their espresso is really good. I'll do a latte if I'm feeling a little more, you know, basic. Um, but they change out their drips really frequently. Ooh. So if you're a coffee snob and you haven't been to crude, you need to go and just try whatever drip they have available. Um, 
And then it's usually the same beans and everything that are on their their pour overs, which are so delicious. So mm-hmm. help yourselves. They also, okay, quick plug for Crude because I love them so much. By the and way, I'm they're, not to, a they're not a sponsor of this episode. podcast. I'm making nothing out of this, even though maybe we can one day. Let's pray bold and specific prayers. Uh, crude um, also is known for their pastries. And so the family that I don't owns think it. I knew that. Yeah, a young guy owns it. And he and his mom went into business together and he curates all the coffee and then she bakes all their pastries like in-house right in the back um and she's phenomenal um the best scones you'll ever have in your life so please go to crude and tell them brooke sent you they won't know what that means it'll mean nothing but it'll mean a lot to me so just go to crude and say brooke sent me and they'll be like that means nothing but here you go but you'll overhear it because you'll be there i'll I'll just know in my heart that that's happening and it'll i would love to be sitting in there one day and just overhear someone walk in and be like brooke sent me and i'll be like i've made it we need like a specialty drink called the brooke seal yeah I feel like pump up my clearly humble ego. Perfect. <laughs> That's it's a good start funny. to an episode of me talking about myself. Hey, we've learned something about you totally. already. Yes. Love well, it. So well, fun. what we're going to do for most of our episode is kind of look back at different seasons or life stages in your life and maybe something that God taught you during that season that influenced you then, but has had a marked impact on your life. But first of all, I kind of want to ask the question, you are in vocational ministry, and yes. that's a phrase that people in vocational ministry may know what that means. Understand, but yeah. The phrase vocational ministry or working for a church, mm-hmm. I think that not everyone knows exactly what that means. And since that is yeah. what you do now, for people that may not know you now, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. I think when people ask me what I do and I say, oh, I work for a church, they don't really know what to do with that, which is totally fine. Sometimes I don't know what to do with that. I'm like, I know, isn't that crazy? Um, But vocational ministry is a fancy way to say that um, I get paid and am fully employed um, by our church. Um, And my position specifically in this season is I'm the women's director of young adults at the Fort Worth campus of Christ Chapel. And so um, I tell people that I have just the best job in the world. It's the mm-hmm. biggest privilege. I get paid to love on people and talk about the Lord. And um, But but ministry is hard. It's not, I joke with people, you know, it's not all coffee dates and Sunday mornings. Definitely um, not. To be a, a vocational minister, I think one means that biblically speaking, you have a very high calling on your life and it doesn't Absolutely. make you holier or better than someone who's not in that position. But it does, I think, mean that you will one day answer for some things before the Lord. Um, because of your role, um, I believe that I will stand before the Lord one day and answer for how I've cared for the people He has entrusted to my care. Um, I think being in vocational ministry is hard and messy, and just but the best, sweetest gift the Lord's ever given me. Really tangibly and practically, um, I spend a lot of time with other people. Um, my my job is very relationally oriented, which I'm really grateful for, and so I get to connect with a lot of young adults from our church. And then my job really is to help them connect with one another and to the church as a whole. So I'm super passionate, and I know we'll get into this about biblical community. Um, I'll probably say this more than once on this episode. I think the local church specifically is the greatest gift God gave us outside of our salvation. I'm super passionate. I really do believe that when the church does what we see Scripture telling the church to do, the church really is the hope and the light of the world. And I think you will find the best relationships and the best um, resources and and community and problem solving within the bounds of the local church. If you if you play your role in it, I think um, if you're a believer, you have a role to play in a local church, and it's not just to consume and take part. It's to serve and be active and um, be a part of what that church is doing as they feel called and led by the Lord. And so, as a staff person, as a vocational minister, um, I think that yeah, 
I I get to kind of lead the charge in those ways with the people that I'm with the people that um, have been entrusted to my care is probably the best way to put it. And I have to admit, I'm totally biased, but you do a great job. (laughs) (laughs) That's really kind. That's really kind. Uh, The good days are by God's grace. Hmm. Well, we see that you love the church. You love the church's people. And I know that God has done a lot in your life to bring you to that point. Yes. So let's kind of roll back a little bit and tell me about Brooksville's childhood. Tell me about growing up. What was that like? Um, It was really sweet and a lot of fun. I think the older I get, I realize in a lot of ways how rare how I grew up was. Um, I I grew up in a Christian home, so both of my parents know and love Jesus. My parents actually met. Um, They got set up by their older sisters, like basically through a single Sunday school class. Yeah, very Southern Baptist of them. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they were involved in a church when they were young adults, um, when they were in their early 20s, and that's how they met and dated and got engaged and got married, um, but came from believing families as well. So extended family knows and loves the Lord. Um, I grew up in a church that um, my parents got married in the church I grew up in. Um, Skipping ahead a little, I got saved in that church and baptized in that church um, and grew a lot of really close relationships intergenerationally in that church. Um, That church really helped raise me in lots of ways, and my family a part of my family is still active at that church and serves there. My grandmother has been the church librarian there for, I think, like 40 plus years. It's kind of crazy. So and my grandfather has taught Sunday school there for years and years and years and um, loves and studies the Bible deeply. Um, and yeah, so the local church has always been a part of my story. And because of that kind of lineage of faith, um, I was really blessed that I never knew anything different than when the church is open, we're there and we're active. I think I watched, even though obviously as you get older and you look back on your life retrospectively, you can piece things together that you weren't in real time. And obviously as a kiddo, I didn't realize, you know, when you're a kid and you watch your family do things, you're like, oh, this is how everyone does it. This is normal. And then when you become an adult and become independent of that or meet people who didn't do it that way, you're like, oh, we're kind of weird. Or, oh, not everyone does (laughs) Does that. that. That's like... Not everyone, you know, goes to Kroger specifically, you know, things like that. But we grew up really active in the church. And and like I mentioned, grandparents were really involved. Aunts, uncles, cousins, like got to grow up with them. And my parents served really consistently and faithfully. But I also remember in being there, I saw con- consistent faces. And, rem- and even now, as a fully independent adult who's 30 years old, I remember faces and names of people that were my Sunday school teachers and and my life from just day one really was marked by being known and being seen in my church and by my church. And so I heard the gospel a lot. Um, and so I, as a seven-year-old, I remember my dad sitting on the end of my my little twin bed with me. And my dad is 6'3". He's a big guy. But I remember he so sweetly sat on the end of my bed with me and walked me through the gospel and was like, Brooke, this is what sin is. And this is who Jesus is. And this is, you know, God created and sin came in and God had a plan and you're a sinner and this is what it means to be separated from the Lord and hear the consequences of sin ultimately. And he talked to me about eternity and heaven. And um, I just remember as a seven-year-old being like, yeah, that checks out. I, a lot of people that love me really well, that are super trustworthy have told me these things. And so I just remember as a seven-year-old having no questions about the gospel, being like, yep, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. Like I very vividly remember that. And so as young as seven years old, which now that I'm 30 and have been around a bunch of seven-year-olds that I've led, I'm like, whew, that is young <laughs> to grasp, grapple with eternity. Um, 
But I think there was that childlike faith there too. And so, yeah, got saved and walked the aisle and did all the traditional (laughs) things and got baptized. And I truly believe at as young as seven years old, I was saved. And I think even then, the Lord planted a seed in my heart to just deeply love the local church, which is why I think I'm so passionate about it. Mm -hmm. And even why I do what I do now is it wasn't anyone that had a seminary degree or anyone that, you know, they didn't do anything super crazy. They just showed up faithfully and consistently and loved me. Um, There's this Mm -hmm. woman named Miss Ann. I remember she was a senior adult woman and she served really faithfully in our children's ministry in the church I grew up in. She was there before I got there and she was there long after I had left Mm -hmm. and just faithfully just was a sweet and familiar face and remembered my parents' names and remembered my name and and just that was Miss Ann's offering to the Lord was her time in children's ministry. And I remember some of my first Sunday school teachers I have a like cognizant memory of um, the year I got saved too was this young, this young, I thought they were so cool because they were young and they were engaged. And I was like, I don't even know what that means, Me. but that seems cool. That like <laughs> seems like a good goal to set. And it was this young engaged couple that were probably in their early 20s. And they were my Sunday school teachers for years. They like w- went up with my class like for a good chunk of my time in elementary. And I just, I remember things like that. And now as an adult who actually works for a church, I look back on that and I'm like, man, those were some faithful volunteers who just said, yeah, I'm going to give that to the Lord. And it greatly influenced me. Like those people are the reason I'm sitting here right now. So big, big heart for the local church from day one. But yeah, I grew up in a super tight knit family who loves Jesus. I have two younger siblings. Um, And I'm sure we'll talk more about family as each kind of chapter of my story unfolds because there are elements of it that were really significant in certain seasons. But yeah, grew up in a really sweet household where love and grace abounded and we talked about Jesus a lot and people showed up. I literally have smiled the whole time you've been talking about that. I'm just looking at you with the biggest smile on your face. I love, I see God give you that gift of those great experiences in local church. I just have that vision of, or envision your father sitting on the end of your bed sharing yeah. the gospel with you. And and I love to, even if you didn't work for a church, I can tell that your love for the local church, like that's where you want to pour your time and energy and yes. be a part of. Yeah. Number one, so you're a part of it. And number two, to hopefully create that for other people. Yeah. And I think that, yes, you work for a church, but it's obvious from listening to you, you would do that whether you worked for a church or not. That's, I, I hope that is true, and I think it is, and it's sweet that you would comment on that. I, I really do. I love it. I, I think it's the craziest thing in the world that I get paid to show up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I really do. I love it. But my family has always loved me really well and loves and follows Jesus, which is such a blessing. I think a lot of people don't get to grow up mm-hmm. in families that know and follow the Lord closely from day one and consistently over the years. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, that the faith of those around me that loved me and raised me. Um, was a big part of a big part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. So really grateful for that that whole little season. So as you move from childhood into the teenage years, I know that they're not totally disconnected from each other, but totally. I'm assuming that some other things marked your teen years. I think many of us develop yep. experience challenges, go through things in our teen years. Tell us a little bit yeah. about what that season was like for you. Well, I mentioned um, when I, you know, was saved as a seven-year-old, I remember thinking, yep, that totally checks out. I have no questions. Jesus died and rose again. That sounds awesome. Sounds cool. Cool story. I believe it. No questions. And I remember, um, I remember as when I, I was becoming a teenager, I think as early as 13, I remember thinking, wait a minute, 
because I'm, for people that know me, they'll laugh at this. And if you don't know me, I'm super pragmatic. If something doesn't make sense to me, I can't get on board with it. And once I'm on board, I'm 110% there. You are. Like I will walk a thousand miles in one direction if you ask me to, if you and I are in a good place, you know, like I, I'm just an all or nothing kind of person. And I remember, I remember I was, I was going to church and I just felt as a teenager, I was like, what am I doing? Like what, like just kind of going through the motions and um, was in a season, honestly, where we were a little less involved um, for a myriad of reasons. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, like, what are the odds that my family in small town Mississippi, if there's one way to heaven and into eternity, what are the odds we got it right? That just blew my mind. It didn't sit well with me. And I was like, well, I don't really read the Bible for myself. I should start. I'm old enough now. I need to make my faith my own. I'm going to start reading the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Bible is a book. And I was like, great. I'm a pretty good reader. I've got lots of AR points. I will just read this book and I will start in the beginning and I will read it in order all the way through. And that's how we're going to do it. So I was like, great. Genesis, no problem. I'll read straight through. So I I remember, I'm sure people (laughs) are like cackling or being like, oh my gosh, (laughs) this girl. I got to Genesis 3 and I was like, there's no way. There's no way. I remember just as as a teen with a little bit of skepticism and, you know, I feel like teenagers are in a season where everything feels super important and you feel like you know a lot, but you also don't know anything. And I remember as a teenager reading God's word and it blew my mind. Like I couldn't wrap my brain around it. And that was the first time I remember feeling that way. And I was like, there's no way this is real because what this is saying, because I grew up in a very active church, heard the gospel constantly, had a really good understanding of, or at least an awareness and familiarity with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So I was like, wait a second. Genesis is saying, if this is true, this is saying that the same God who created everything, the same God who was there since before the dawn of time, who's outside of time, that God is the same person of Jesus in the Gospels that like put on flesh and hung out with Peter and John and died and then supposedly rose again and defeated death, whatever that means. I was like, there's no way. And this is telling me that he wants, and technically I have a personal relationship with him. And it blew my mind. Um, And fun fact, listener, I'm the oldest child and I'm so stereotypical. (laughs) Um, I have a huge chip on my shoulder when it comes to fairness. And so anything that I perceive as unfair deeply bothers me. And as the oldest no one put this on me. This was all self-inflicted. I was like, oh, I've got to set the bar for my siblings coming behind me. Like, I've got to be the good kid. I got to hit all the bars. I've got to, like, you know, have the A's in school and show up at church and and be good at the all these extracurricular things. And so I remember being really ashamed that I doubted my faith. Hmm. And then, because I'm really prideful and egotistical, I thought to myself, oh, I'm the first believer in the history of the world to ever doubt her faith. These are the thoughts going through 13-year-old Brooke's brain. And quite possibly all or almost all of us have had similar thoughts at different right. seasons. But you did of but course. at the time you don't know that. Of course. And here's the thing, and I feel like we'll get into this too as we keep going. But um I think doubt is something that we feel a lot of guilt and shame over. So we hide it instead of interacting with it. That's true. And I think I think the local church should be the safest place and the first place we go with our doubts. Mm. But 13-year-old Brooke was not nearly as arrived as 30-year-old Brooke, so we'll get there. Uh, but I just remember being ashamed and embarrassed that I doubted, and I felt 
maybe silly or even stupid of like, oh, there's just something I'm not getting. Mm. But it really sent me down a spiral and it scared me. I was afraid. I was like, oh, if something happens to me, I don't know what's going to happen on the other side of like my life ending here. Scared me to death. And I remember just being really uncomfortable in my faith. Mm. Um, And long story short, because uh, this is a short form podcast, so I'll obey (laughs) by the rules. Um, uh, I remember that lasted that kind of feeling and almost tension and doubt in the Lord and guilt and shame. I kept quiet about it was just kind of me wrestling with it with the Lord or quite honestly, even not at all for years. And so fast forward a little. It was really sad. And I, I think I was sad as much as I knew to be then. Like I remember as a teenager being like, oh, this is a real bummer. Like, this is scary and unsettling, and I don't know what to do with it. But at the same time, I was like, because I'm prideful. Um, you didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell anyone. I was like, I'll figure it out. It's all good. Brooke against the world. So silly. Um, but that was that was kind of in, in summation. That was a good chunk of my teenage years. But fast forward a little. Um, in that time, my family moved from, from the church I described earlier, um, which I'm so grateful for, and that church will always be one of the biggest gifts God's given me, and I can't wait to get to eternity one day and see the impact on the other side of heaven that mm-hmm. that church has made and, and is continuing to make. Um, but my family, my parents had um, bought some land in a small town of about a 1,000 people, and that's where I really call my hometown. I think we've talked about it on here before, but um, the town of Flora, Mississippi. She's so cute. Um, and at the time, there were about a thousand people in Flora, Every Mississippi. Every time you talk about it, I just want to go. I love it so much. And uh, my parents wanted to build a house and wanted us to be in a smaller school environment. And so we moved there. And when we moved, we switched churches to a local church in Flora. And so I went from um, the church I'd grown up in was actually pretty, pretty large. And uh, we switched to a church. And I think at the time, if any of them listen, I don't mean to offend or misspeak. I think there were only 300 people really from like top to bottom, Mm -hmm. Um, but really small. um, And I am so, I look back on that season now as an adult and that move was God's kindness to my whole family. I think that move um, where we moved towns and, and moved houses and switched churches, like that move was such a God's hand was so in that in so many elements for all of my family. I think my parents, m- myself, my siblings, just a really, really good gift from the Lord that I um, didn't know we needed. Um, so switched to a small church. And I think in the big church, I'd gotten a little intimidated and felt a little out of place. Um, and uh, if you meet me now, you'll think, oh, that girl is really extroverted and never meets a stranger. That was not teenage Brooke at that point. Um, I was a little more to myself. A little. It was, it was slight, <laughs> but it was a little. Uh, and I remember being nervous to like go to this new church and have to kind of start over in friend groups and stuff. But grew up in a um, really small youth group. I think when I first started going to that youth group, there were like 12 of us. Really? Yeah. And it was like sixth grade all the way up to like high school seniors. And there were 12 of us. And I was like, I'm going to be the cool one. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was small. I'm sure you yeah, were. Yeah. And I That's wouldn't say that. Great. Uh, but anyways, all that to say, um, had a great youth pastor who was really influential and loved the Bible and taught the Bible really faithfully and helped me trust and love scripture in a way I had not before. Um, So long story short, after a couple of summers at summer camp and the typical camp high, um, if you've been around the church world for long, you know what that means. But um, yeah, really digging in the word and, 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 getting exposed um, to different parts of scripture for the first time and and in deeper ways and um, being really faithfully involved in that church. 
I really started to love and trust the Lord again, and even in some new ways. Um, and as a 17-year-old, as a 17-year-old, the summer before my junior year of high school, I I think I really surrendered to the Lord for the first time. I believe, biblically and theologically speaking, I was saved as a seven-year-old. But I think as a 17-year-old, I remember it was June 30th of 2010. I remember it like it was yesterday. I can tell you the details if you email me. But I remember something clicked that day. And I remember telling my youth leader, I was like, I, I, me and the Lord are good, but like I've been tacking him on to what I was already doing. I wasn't putting him first and I'm exhausted. Like as a 17 year old, I was like, I'm exhausted. Yeah. Like my, I know that my soul is not in the best place. And I know that there's more to life than what I'm doing. And I really want the Lord to be first. And I was telling my youth leader this, and he was like, well, have you told the Lord that? And I was like, I mean, not directly. <laughs> and he was like, well, do you want to? And I was like, yeah. And I remember he sat with me and we prayed and I wept and wept and wept and wept and wept. And um, my life has not been the same since. And that was the summer, like I said, that was summer before my junior year of high school. I really, the way I describe it is I just fell head over heels in love with Jesus. And I was like, okay, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. If you want me to go live in a hut in Africa, I'll do it. I'll do it. And if you want me to stay in this town for forever, I'll do that too. I just had no idea. But I remember for the first time maybe ever being really excited about my faith and feeling really, really, really close and near to the Lord, um, which was really sweet. Um, And that kind of sent me on a trajectory that, Kathy, you and I have talked about that I think a big part of my story in my teenage years and even kind of like late high school, even early college, I remember, (laughs) I remember I'm a rule follower. Like I'm very black and white. I hate the gray. Um, And newsflash listener, if you don't know yet, I love you enough to tell you life on this side of heaven is more gray than it is anything else. I know. And I just don't like it. I've been avoiding it for years, but that's the truth. Let me save you some angst. (laughs) Um, But I remember I just started just pouring over scripture and loving it and reading it a ton. But I got obsessed with two books. I got obsessed with Proverbs and I got obsessed with the book of James, which some people say is basically the New Testament version of Proverbs. Proverbs. It's all about wisdom. Because yeah. I'm because I'm a rule follower and I'm very black and white. There are a lot of rules in both those books. There's lots of rules, which I like. I like structure. I like you to tell me where to go, tell me how, tell me when to get there. And I'm like, I will do that and exceed your expectations. And so I remember as a young, very influential believer, I remember thinking, okay, this is my jam. And I remember thinking, I am not wise. I am not wise the way the Bible talks about being wise. Mm -hmm. And I would really like to be wise because I was like, there's something to this whole wisdom thing. Like there's a theme and the Bible really seems to value wisdom. So I remember praying, okay, Lord, make me wise. Like I prayed every day for wisdom for a long time. As a teenager. Yes. That's fantastic. Well, that was clearly just the Holy Spirit. I I don't even think I fully understood. And I think a lot of it, quite frankly, came from pride of like, oh, I want to be wise because one, it seems important. And two, it seems to be something that people notice and see a lot of value in. So Especially quite, in the church world. In that's the church world. perceived as a good, and it is a good thing. Of course. And I, I think, you know, I think sometimes we're like, oh, my ill motives are going to get in God's way. You're not that powerful. You're not that big a deal. I love you. You're fine. Like, the Lord is going to use you and do with you what He wants. Um, he invites you into it, and you you can say yes or no, um, but He's going to do what He wants. Uh, so anyways, I started praying for wisdom, and that's why I got obsessed with Proverbs and James, because those are the books of wisdom. And so I remember, if you go back, it's actually at my desk here at Christ Chapel. Um, I keep my Bible uh, from that season of my life 
here and it's so tattered and torn. I've had it rebound twice and it's got tear stains on it and marks and all these things. And it's, it's honestly such a sweet kind of stone of remembrance almost of like where I've been and what the Lord has taught me over the years of walking with him. And, but I would, I would read Proverbs and I'd get done and then I'd go straight to James and then I'd read all of James and then I'd go back to Proverbs. And that was like where I was camped out in scripture. And I remember the other thing that taught me was, and something I realized, and this is a big part of my story. I tell people when people meet me now, they're like, Oh, you're so friendly. Like you're so nice. And I'm like, sure. I don't think that's not true. Um, if you met, it's totally if you, true. if you met high school, Brooke, I would have come across just as nice, but my heart was not in a good place. I remember really wrestling with self-righteousness and a ton of judgment um, as a new believer in high, in high school. Um, I think the perfect storm was there in my gifting and wiring um, because I think God wires us and gifts us uniquely and specifically with purpose, and then our sin can mar that. Um, and so at the time, I remember, um, I think I am really good at connecting with people and I love people and... I was always the nice kid. Like I was not the most popular. I was, I wasn't everyone's like favorite, but I was, I got along with everybody, you nice. know, like yeah, I was no one's totally. go-to, but I was like, I was safe, you know, like I, I, I understand you that. knew what you were getting when you were hanging out with Brooke. Um, and I was nice. And I remember though, my understanding of the gospel, understandably so, obviously was very limited. And I remember I was a total Pharisee. That's how I described myself mm-hmm. from high school. What does I, that mean? I had a huge disconnect in my heart and in my brain. So I would read scripture and say, okay, this is what scripture says. That seems pretty straightforward. So I, because I believe in Jesus and have given my life to Jesus, I am going to do these things. I am going to honor my parents. I am, I'm going to work hard. I'm not going to lie. I'm, um, my body is not my own. So um, I am not um, going to have a sex life or I'm not going to get drunk or I am not I'm going to do my best. I am not going to disrespect my parents in any way. And I am not going to disrespect authority. And I'm all like there the laundry list. There was a list of rules. There was a list of rules. And do I, your best to follow them. And I was following them really closely. Like I'm a really good rule follower. I'm like really good at it. Um, that doesn't test on strength finders, but if it did, I would test really high in, in rule following. Rule following. Uh, <laughs> but I remember, and I, I got a lot I, that made me feel good. I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm doing it right, man. Me and the Lord are just clicking. Like we are, I am running on all cylinders, but I remember feeling really unsettled. And I, and I remember in high school specifically, I would see people around me that would go to church and, and claim Christ, but their life looked super different than mine. And that made me feel like, okay, I figured something out that you haven't mm-hmm. and you need to like get your stuff together. And I hate even saying that. I'm almost embarrassed to say that on the mic, but I want to be honest. honest. And I think a, an important part of telling your story isn't just saying facts about yourself, but it's, is Jesus at the center of the story? And is he the hero of the story? Which means in some ways I'm the villain. Like I am who Jesus saved from total depravity, right? And I'm I'm a wretched sinner. And, and then I was very new in my faith. And so I was making so many mistakes and didn't even have eyes to see it or the humility to you know, wrestle with it or even deal with the conviction, but we just had a super judgmental heart posture. And obviously it was all inward. Like this is all inward dialogue. Like I'm not calling people out in the hallway. Thank goodness. But I, I really wrestled with, oh my gosh, like I'm doing it right. What's everyone else's problem? And just, Mm -hmm. I, I remember feeling the need to separate myself from, from certain people who I really disagreed with. And that's actually antithetical to the gospel. 
we're called to live above approach and to follow God's word, but we're called to do life and love people who don't believe what we believe or who are even wrestling to walk it out. Like, I am no better than anyone else. It is only by God's grace that I'm saved. It's not anything I did. Um, it's not anything I earned. It is it is grace and grace alone. Um, and so I just remember I had a lot of knowledge that puffed up. You hear that language of I was in the Word and, and was walking close with the Lord, but I was just really prideful um, and really judgmental. And it makes me so sad. And I think that's one reason why I do what I do now. It's so funny to see God's hand in different parts of your story over the years of I didn't know them, but God was getting me ready for a better understanding of grace later in my life. Um, and now I, I'm actually, I, I think I used to separate myself from people whose sin looked differently than mine. Um, I knew I had sin. I didn't think I was sinless, but I was like, well, my sin's not as bad, which is also not true. Um, all sin is equal because it has the same consequence, which is separation from the Lord. And it costs the same price, which was Jesus's life on the cross. And so, um, you know, there's that saying, it says the foot is level at the or the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that when I was 17 or 18 or 19 or 20 or 20. I, I digress. <laughs> um, but yes, high school Brooke was really judgmental and had a really hard time connecting with people genuinely because of that. And so the other thing I prayed for a lot, and this kind of goes into the college years, years. of my story, uh-huh. if it's okay to segue that 100%. way. First of all, well, mm-hmm. yes, it's totally great to segue, but I want to say thank you for number one, admitting your sin. Cause it's not fun to admit your sin. No, it's not. But, Sometimes when we either look at ourselves or look at other people, we can, I don't know, sugarcoat what someone else's sin is or what our sin is. And number one, any sin, pride and self-righteousness doesn't honor the Lord, and it makes us miserable. Yeah. And there is grace and forgiveness for any sin that we commit. And so I'm grateful for you acknowledging, first of all, that that was something you wrestle with because I wrestle with that. Many of us wrestle with that. And for us to be motivated to say, okay, Lord, I need to bring that to you. Mm -hmm. Forgive me for my pride. Forgive me for my self-righteousness. Help grow me in that understanding of grace. Like I feel like that's very honoring to the Lord and very Mm -hmm. freeing. And so I'm really grateful that you would share with us that struggle because there are a lot of us that struggle with the same thing. Yeah. And I, and I, that's very kind for you to acknowledge. And I, um, I was surrounded by awesome people who loved Jesus and, and walked closely with him and had a lot of fruit in their life. So what I mean by that is they looked a lot like Jesus. They were patient and kind and slow to anger and they, um, were honoring in their relationships and how they use their words and all those things. Let me be clear. Those people were around me and I had access to them. I just had a lot of lack of grace in my heart. For people whose sin I categorize differently than mine. So I want to make that clear. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that, in that struggle, I remember the other thing I prayed for every day in high school. I promise you, every day. Wisdom and wisdom and biblical community. Love it. I and if you know me, you know that like community is my soapbox. I think every time Kathy's had me on this podcast, and I've talked about it with Camille as well, um, I bring up books and different things about this whole topic and idea of biblical community. Um, And so, but I remember in high school feeling really lonely. And now part of that was self-inflicted and I think was mislabeled conviction, honestly, of, um, I think I was lonely because I just didn't have people around me that were spurring me on in certain ways. And a lot of that, again, I think was self-inflicted and was mislabeling. But something I desperately desired in high school um, and the Lord started giving me eyes for and a heart for. And even now, as I'm telling the story, I think, 
oh, the Lord wasn't necessarily planning it on my heart to ask for because I didn't have it. He was getting me ready to really love and appreciate it and see it rightly. I really like that perspective. Yeah, which is cool. I think in our stories, it's so easy to be like, oh, that season was really hard and messy because I lost this or I was longing for this. And I think as you walk with the Lord longer and even get some space from the harder parts of your story, you can look back and be like, oh, God in His kindness now, it clicks and I can see what He was doing there. So even articulating that to you now, I'm like, that's what He was doing. Well done. He's so great. It only took me 15 years to <laughs> connect the dots. Perfect. Um, you'll have me back on when I'm 45 and we'll connect more Absolutely. dots. Absolutely. We'll see what you're praying we'll for today it, and yeah. how God's brought it to pass. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I was praying for biblical community. And what I mean by biblical community is I prayed specifically for Jesus. I want friends that know you and love you and that will call me out on my sin. And I want friends that love you more than they love me. I remember as a 17, 18, 19, 20 year old praying that prayer. Um, so high school ends and I go to college yeah. and uh, freshman year of college was was gnarly. It was not fun. I have a theory. If someone tells you they had a good middle school or freshman year college experience, they are lying to you. <laughs> and you need to sit them down and let them be honest <laughs> or cut them loose. <laughs> now, I'm sure if you had that, you're lovely and that's great. And I'm happy for you. Please email me. <laughs> uh, but I had a really hard, really hard time my freshman year of college. I went to college on a scholarship big part of my story that we kind of skipped over. Um, I had a lot of health issues early on in my life. And um, one of the uh, sacrifices of that uh, is lack of coordination. And so I'm the least athletic person you will ever come across. Um, and I went to a small school where everyone played sports. And as an extrovert who just wants to be around all the people all the time, I was like, I got to get in there, but I'm not sporty enough. How do I do it? So I became an athletic trainer in high school. That's Which a great means I went to all the football practices and made sure that the boys drank water and I learned how to tape ankles. So that's like an odd little party trick. <laughs> It'd be weird if you tape someone's ankle at a party, but that's my party trick because I can tape ankles and um, was really passionate about sports medicine and really thought that's what I was going to do. I really wanted to go to physical therapy school. And so went to college on a sports medicine scholarship and was an athletic trainer um, at my college and that job and that the demand, I was probably working 60-hour weeks and going to school full-time. so much. And was a college freshman who was away from my family for the first time, which was not fun. Never got to go home. Um, wasn't plugged into church. Didn't have friends because... You didn't have time. Didn't have time and was really lonely. And I didn't know that it was this at the time. But looking back, I was like, oh, I was anxious and like depressed. I didn't know that that's what it was, but I was really anxious all the time. I think I was mildly depressed just because of the demand of that season. And it was way too um, much. Over Christmas break of that year, um, a friend of mine um, passed away in a car wreck, and my family had to navigate some tough things in some other situations that year. So my freshman year of college was just really hard. That is a hard. It was just hard. Um, and my sweet mom, I remember my freshman year, she called me. She's like. Brooke, you should just move home and do community college and just rest and kind of hit reset. And then you can go back to school after your prereqs, you know, like you can finish there as a junior and senior. I said, Mom, over my dead body, will I come home and go to community college? Um, I was just so... I did not know that story. Yeah, I was so disgusting and prideful. Like pride is my biggest issue and I hate it, but I'm being honest. Um, but anyways... But I, I continued that prayer for community, even going into college. And I only tell you that in detail to say I prayed for community every day, junior year of high school, senior year of high school, freshman year of college, 
going into sophomore year of college. We're going on four years of a prayer unanswered. And four years for someone relatively young. Yes, yes. To pray for something for four years by the time you're 19. That's a a long time. Yeah, I started praying for community as a 17-year-old and then prayed. And I promise you, I'm not exaggerating. I prayed that prayer every day. Like every single day. I, I even got to a point where I was like, Lord, just give me one. Maybe community was selfish. I just need one. I will be the best friend they ever had. I will never leave them or forsake them. I will walk with them all my days. Like I would, I will vow to this one friend you give me. And I would pray genuinely desperate prayers for community um, for years daily. All that to say, it has a happy ending. <laughs> um, fast forward, my sophomore year of college, I gave up my scholarship. And in the midst of this, um, I decided that um, I think that I don't want to go to PT school. I don't want to be a physical therapist. I flunked my first A&P class as a freshman um, in college. Um, well, I didn't, excuse me. I flunked my first test. I did not flunk my class. <laughs> don't tell mom. I did not <laughs> flunk my class. I flunked my first ever science class in college, which was a basic freshman level A&P class. And um, up to that point, I thought the Lord had been calling me into ministry. And I was like, that sounds kind of hard and going to lonely school. and PTs get to wear scrubs and make way more money than people that work at a church. I'm going to do that. But like, I'll like teach a class or something. And I was like bargaining with the Lord, which is hilarious. Um, at least in my mind, I remember right before I went to college, actually, I'm sorry, I'm going backwards to go forwards. Um, right before I was supposed to go to my freshman year orientation for college, that's when I felt called to ministry. People talk about calling a lot and we'll circle back to that in a minute. Um, that comes into play later. Um, but I remember as early as then, the Lord had planted it on my heart that He wanted me to do ministry. Um, I was listening to a guy preach on uh, the work is, um, the harvest is much and the laborers are few. And I was like, oh no, I'm a laborer. And I was like, bummed. <laughs> I was like, oh no, it's me. There's only a few of us. And I have to what go. are we going to do? <laughs> and I remember I went home from, um, I was at a retreat and I'd heard that talk and I went home and I told my parents, hey, and they're like, Brooke, how was your weekend? I was like, oh my gosh, it was awesome. This is how, ca- I promise you, you can call my parents and ask, this is how casual it was. You've met my parents, you can ask them. Yes. I said, oh, my weekend was great. This guy gave a talk and I, God called me to vocational ministry and I said, yes. I said it just, just- as plain as that. Um, and my sweet parents, who I love and who are my favorite people on this side of heaven, my they mom really and my dad. Are her favorite people. I love them so much. I talk about how much I love them all the time. I should tell them more. I tell other people a lot. I should. I should tell them. You should. Maybe they'll listen because you love them a lot. I love them so much. They have so deeply impacted me, and I just am obsessed with them. And they are just God's greatest gift to me as my parents. I'm God's favorite person. Um, but I remember I told my sweet parents that so casually. Remember, I'm the oldest, so you know. I feel like you attach a lot of things to your oldest kiddo of like, oh, however the oldest How one goes, gonna grow up? Are they gonna the be younger okay? ones are probably going to go similarly. Sure. Um, and I remember I went home thinking, this is awesome. Like, I've done the best thing a kid can do. I've said yes to God. You're welcome. And I was like, I am my parents' crown jewel. Like, I'm bopping up in the kitchen like, you're welcome for this news. And I say it just as casually as that. And they were not excited. Um, I remember my sweet dad just kind of like went dead face and like was kind and was like, Oh, that's different. We're going to orientation in two days and like left the room, like physically left the room. And my sweet mom was like, Brooke, you know, I love you. You know, I'm for you. So in your corner, 
you're just nervous. You're nervous about orientation. It's going to be okay. Once you get your class schedule and everything worked out, things will fall into place and It'll you'll see where it all fits. Yes. And I remember, um, I have to tell this part because I tell this part every time I tell my story. Um, a couple days later, I was sitting in my parents' kitchen um, and my mom is cooking dinner and we're chatting and I'm just sitting at the bar and she's cooking dinner and she's like chopping something up and she stops chopping it up and she looks up at me and she goes, I've been thinking about what you said the other day. I said, oh, well, good. I was like offended that they had not woefully supported me and high-fived me. Um, and she said, I've been thinking about what you said the other day and I was praying about it. And you know what, Brooke? You're not my kid. You're God's. And I want you to do what he wants you to do. That gets and me teary. I'll cry right now. And that is the hands down one of the most impactful things anyone on the side of heaven has ever said to me. Um, but that is the most impactful thing my mom has ever said. And she's said lots of sweet and kind and impactful things. But that one will always take the cake. And from then on, she was just on board, like no questions asked. Whatever she's God like, Whatever says, God we're says, gonna we're going to do it together. Um, yeah, my sweet dad, sweet man, I love him so much. He took a little longer to come around. He's not as holy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Dad. Um, we know you're on board. <laughs> but I mentioned uh, my Christmas break freshman year of college was really, really hard. And while I was home over Christmas break, my dad and I were riding together in his truck um, going somewhere. And we had been in the truck for a while. And I think I remember just sitting in silence. It was like, what are we going to talk about? And he was like, I don't agree with your life choices. So what do we have to talk about? And I remember I had still not changed my major at that point because in my brain, I was like, oh, safety net. I can still do the PT thing. And this ministry thing can just kind of be ambiguous and vague. And I can kind of like half in and half out until I know how it's going to shake out. And my sweet dad looks over at me and he goes, and my parents call me by my first and last name. Um, it's like a nickname kind of thing. That's context that we don't have time to get into. But he looks over at me and he goes, Brooks Hill, I've been thinking. And I was like, okay. And he goes, can I ask you something? I said, Sure. He said, so you want to go into ministry? And I was like, yes, sir. And I had told my parents that I was really interested in biblical counseling. And he goes, and you want to be a counselor? And I said, yes, sir. And he goes, so you're telling me for the rest of your life, you want to sit in a quiet room and listen to other people's problems and not make any money? I said, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. And he said, okay, let's do it. And ever since then has not checked up, has not, has not disagreed or 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 butted up or been slow to support me at all has just been off to the races ever since and so a big part of my story is my family's support of even what i do for a living and again we'll circle back to that in a minute i'm sorry i'm a little all over the place no you're great i um, want to take us back though to yes. first of all i don't want to take us back i do want to take us back but i <laughs> love the whole story i want to round out that college biblical community yes. Yes, yes, prayer yes. request because i think some things happened then. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Thank you for keeping me on track. Um, but I backed up to say all that because all of that plays into what happened. And so um, my freshman year, I said, was really hard, really lonely. I was trying to like, I had said yes to ministry, like to God, but was keeping it vague and was trying to have my backup plan. Um, and remember, I'm the oldest and I want to set the bar, right? Of course. <laughs> And the program I was in on my scholarship, the way it worked was the scholarship stacked on itself. So the longer you did it, the more money you made. So if you stayed in it all four years, it didn't matter what your major was. If you kept being an athletic trainer, by the time you were a senior, it would pay for your school, essentially. That's amazing. So my goal was to tough it out and to earn all to this money to pay for, for school. Because I was like, look at me. My parents don't even ask. I'm so selfless. 
And it just was not, that's just not where I was supposed to be. And I think the Lord taught me so much my first couple years of college specifically of, Brooke, you had some really cool plans. Like they were good, but you are not in control and I am Mm -hmm. and my plans are better if you'll just trust me. And so really stubbornly held on to that role and stayed in that job all freshman year and was absolutely miserable. Went home over summer or before I left for summer, my parents told me, they're like, Brooke, we love you. We're not worried about the money. We're not, we, we are worried about your well-being and we want you to have a great experience and to have friends and to have a life and to do all these things. And you work way too hard and you stress yourself out way too much and you try to control way too many things. And so you're not going to work next year. You're just not going to do it. And um, so I um, resigned from my scholarship. So I didn't Which accept it. a big it. deal for you. Yes, I didn't accept it for the second year. So I finished my freshman year and told them that I would not come back. And they were so sweet and kind. And um, the Lord really took care of me in that environment. Um, so I went into sophomore year of college, still praying for community. I'm still lonely, but now I'm unemployed. <laughs> now <laughs> so I have time. I'm going to school and I have time for a social life, but now I don't have any friends. But I, I went to college with a, um, actually, she's my cousin. We grew up together. We're the same age and we went to school at the same time. And I would just hang out with her and her. She had made all these awesome friends freshman year while I was off being miserable. She had made all these awesome friends and I would hang out with them kind of sparingly when I had time. And she invited me on, they were all going to do spring break together, Uh sophomore year. And she was like, Brooke, you should come on spring break with me and all these friends. And I was like, oh my gosh, a pity invite? No, thank you. So disgustingly prideful. And Abby is her name. I owe so much to Abby. Um, the Lord has used her and does use her in so many ways in my life. And I'm so glad we're related, but we're also like built in besties. And Abby was like, don't be stubborn. She knows me. She called me out. She was like, you're being stubborn. Don't make this harder than it is. Just come. get over yourself and come on spring break. And I was like, you know what? You, you When you say it like that, you kind of got a point. So I go on this spring break and the only girl I know on this spring break is Abby. Is your cousin. And there are 12 of us in total on this trip. So I'm about to go hang out for almost a whole week with 10 strangers. I was nervous out of my mind. I was like, oh my gosh, this pity invite. I'm going to be the awkward girl. I'm the only girl who isn't in a sorority. This is going to be terrible. But I went. And to this day, there's actually um, a photo of them at the office here. Um, to this day, those women are my best friends. I went on that spring break and fell in love with those 10 women. And they all know and love and walk closely and deeply with Jesus. Um, and they became my friends. And I remember like two days into that trip, I remember I was up late one night chatting with a bunch of them and we all had gone to bed at like two in the morning. And I remember falling asleep, laying in the bed and I go, this is it. This is what I've been. I'll cry right now. This is what I've been praying for. And it was, that was God's answered prayer to that prayer that I had prayed daily for years. Like, had prayed that prayer hundreds, sometimes multiple times a day. So I've prayed that prayer hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And God, in His timing and in His own way, with His own agenda, answered that prayer. Um, and to this day, those women are my best, some of my closest and best friends. A lot of them are moms now, which is really fun. And we're spread out kind of all over the country and doing a lot of different things. But I still have an active group text with them. Um, we have a big reunion trip planned, hopefully for next summer. And um, those women are still ones that if they're in town or if I pick up the phone, we pick up like we haven't right missed there. a day. And I'm so, so grateful. So um, if you don't get anything out of this episode, because I'm a little rambly, if you're if you are desiring something that is not in contrast to God's character and what he wants for your life and you pray it boldly and specifically, mm-hmm. he will answer it in an undeniable way. And it might take some time, but I promise you it's worth the wait.
but yes, so biblical community was a huge, huge prayer of mine. Um, I think it's so important to, and when I say biblical community, people that love Jesus more than you, people that call you out on your stuff, that love you enough to know the deepest, most intimate parts of your story and your sin and how you're gifted and wired, that they see the best in you and they stick around when the worst comes out. Um, yeah, people that point you to Jesus and not just to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that was kind of college in a nutshell, honestly. Um, the rest of college was a dream, you know, really good friends. Um, the Lord taught me a lot. It was a lot of fun. Um, I did a, a part of my story that I, I won't go into too much detail for the sake of time and, and talking about other things. Um, I lost a grandmother to a terminal illness during college. Um, my mom's mom was diagnosed with ALS um, when I was a sophomore. Christmas break over college was always the worst. Ish hit the mm-hmm. fan every time over break. It was terrible. I like would get a little PTSD around Christmas <laughs> every gonna year. Happen? Yeah, what's now? Um, but unfortunately, sadly, my sophomore year of college, um, Gran is what I called her. Gran was diagnosed with ALS, and then she passed away um, early December, shortly before Christmas, um, my junior year. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Lord taught me a ton about suffering and longing for heaven and um, all sorts of things that I wish we had time to get into. And I'm more than happy to talk about openly with if that would be a blessing to anyone that hears this, that is walking with someone with terminal illness or even is just walking through suffering or loss of any kind. That um, that was the first time I had ever been angry with the Lord. And by God's grace, I think it's the only time I've been angry with him. Um, I didn't know what it was at the time, but God taught me a lot about lament in that season, which I've talked about on this podcast a good bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but praise God, Grand knows and loves Jesus and is with him now and is not in pain and is totally healed and um, is in the presence of the Lord. And so I'm a little jealous. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't know what it meant to long for heaven until Grand was at her sickest, which was the summer between my sophomore and junior year. So I was 20 turning 21 that summer. And that's young to watch someone, you know, essentially die in front of you and, and slowly and painfully. And yeah. And grand, um, again, we skipped over some early years of my story, but, um, grand was so influential and really helped raise me, um, in a lot of ways. And so, um, that was hard, but God is so worth trusting and following and ministered to me in some really unique ways in that season, even through the loss of Gran, that I remember I was like irreverently excited at her funeral. I was like, what's up? Let's hang out. Um, just because her her sickness was so grievous and so uncomfortable and hard to watch that it was such a relief because of her faith in Jesus that she that got she to be delivered from her pain, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, so that's college in a nutshell. Um, community was a huge part of that and, and the women that God brought my life and the lessons he taught me. Um, something I mentioned though, that I feel like this will start to kind of wrap up. And yeah. if you're the listener, this episode's going on, you're like, oh, thank goodness. They're I can see it. the light. They're <laughs> loving it. Um, but I mentioned very briefly that I did feel called to ministry, which is language that gets thrown around a lot. God did not speak audibly to me. There was not a bush on fire like you read about Moses. It might as well have been, though. I, I do feel like the Lord to you, communicated it was very to me clear. very clearly. Um, so right before I went to college, so I'm 19, God was like, you're going to go into ministry. And I was like, sounds good. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Well, that bridge came up. Um, about halfway through college, I started thinking, okay, where do I want to go to seminary? Because remember, I'm a rule follower. So I knew I knew enough to know if I really want to work at a church that can afford to pay me, I'm going to need a degree. Like I'm mm. going to need to go to seminary and get a degree. Be equipped. And I knew I knew I had to have an undergrad degree. So I was like, oh, that kind of buys me time. 
I'll stay at the same school and, and figure that out. So anyways, um, I started looking into seminaries my junior year of college, um, which is when Gran was at her sickest. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm so holy. I'm going to take care of Gran and stay close to home. And I'll pick a small school that theologically maybe I don't totally line up with, but it'll all come out in the wash. And I'll stay close to home and save up and do this big, noble thing. And And I remember the Lord saying, Brooke, again, good plan, sis. Good plan. But no. I think I was using fear and and even I think I was using Gran as a shield of like, I'm going to stay close where I can control some things or at least the perception of things. And the Lord said, nope. And I remember when Gran passed away, the Lord very gently was like, okay, you can go now. Like, that's not, you're not going to stay home. You're going to go somewhere to go to school. And so I started asking around about different seminaries. And like I've mentioned briefly, I grew up in the Southern Baptist world, which theologically, um, I was really comfortable with and, and agreed with their theology on things. And so I wanted to go to a Southern Baptist seminary and you also get half off because the court, the cooperative program gives money to Southern Baptist schools. And I was like, great. I was a little worried financially about going to school. Um, I'm a very financially aware person for better or worse. And uh, when I got done with undergrad, I had a few thousand dollars left um, from student loans. A lot of my school by God's grace, had been paid for academically and in other ways. So I had a very small student loan at the end of school. And I didn't know how I was going to pay it. But I was like, you know, you defer your first year and then you start paying it off. And I ended up getting a business degree. And so um, my dad took me to lunch the summer I was home between college and seminary. And he took me to lunch. And my dad's a financial planner. And so in his financial planner way, he like, brought this portfolio to lunch we like went to like a cane's chicken fingers and we're like sitting down on his <laughs> lunch break he like drives in from his office brings this stuff. like huge binder like this that. little portfolio into canes and we sit down in this booth at canes and we eat our lunch and he goes okay brooksville he like let's talk about how you're gonna pay off your student loan i was like yeah thank you so much for your advice and your help and he goes okay so he lays out all these plans if you can pay it off in this amount of time with this much or you can do this or this and he lays out all my options and he goes or I could pay off your student loan debt. And my dad, in the middle of the canes, wrote a check and was like, I don't want you to worry about your student debt. And wrote off my student debt. Yes, I'm being dead serious. And then it gets better, though. So remember, I'd been looking at seminaries. So my junior year, I decided to move to a city I'd only been to once in middle school. I decided that when I got done, and I went to college in Mississippi, I decided that when I graduated college, I was going to move to Fort Worth, Texas. Where's that? (laughs) (laughs) And I remember I drove home from college one weekend. I'd gotten a job, and I'd taken off and drove home. And um, I told my parents, I was like, hey, when I get done with school next May, I'm going to move to Fort Worth, Texas. And they were like, no, you're not. And I was like, no, 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 guys, we've been here before. You know how this went last time. Me and the Lord are on the same page. You just got to get there. It'll be way more fun if you just say yes. And um, when I was looking into seminaries, I remember I Googled the South, all of these Southern Baptist seminaries. Yeah. And I found Southwestern and I clicked on the link like from the Google page. And it took me to Southwestern's homepage on their website. And the Lord just said, that's where you're going to go. So I applied and got accepted before I was even done. Like I got accepted and did all that and knew I was going to go before I even finished undergrad that I was going to move to Fort Worth and go to Southwestern. Wow. And so told my parents that and they were like, that's a big city. We'll see how it You're goes. You're from Florida, Mississippi. But they were very loving and very supportive. They're like, that's great. We support you. Um, and when my dad paid off my student loans from undergrad, he's like, okay, Brooke, you know, I love you. You know, I'm for you. 
we're going to figure it out together, but I cannot pay for your seminary. I was like, no, sir, I was not expecting that. That's totally okay. Thank you so much. Like, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I'm just going to work and I'll just go to school part time and figure it out. Yeah. Um, and he's like, okay. And um, my parents were very supportive, but I think in the back of the heads, they were like, she's not going to move to Fort Worth. That's a huge city. It's far away. And I think even as they were driving the U-Haul to seminary, they're like, she could back out at any minute. <laughs> But they were so supportive and sweet. And I think one of my favorite things about my parents is watching them say yes so that their kids can say yes. Um, they just do that really well. And so I think it was hard for them to send off their oldest. Um, my dad is a really um, shows love in a lot of really sweet ways. But he, my dad is really faithful. That's the word I would use to describe my dad. And he's very um, he makes sure that he does his part. And so he's a really big provider. So I think in his brain, there was a lot of fear attached to, hey, I set you up. Like, I took good care of you. I raised you, like, went to school. I took care of you. I made sure you always had everything you needed. And now you're going to go do this job that has no guarantees. And you're going to do it alone, like, as this young single gal. And you're going to be away where I can't get to you and can't help you as much. Um, and I think my mom just knew that whatever God told me to do, I would do. And she was like, well, what's God going to tell her to do? Mm -hmm. And so I'm so thankful for my parents' just consistent support in so many mentally, emotionally, spiritually, financially. So anyways, decided to go to Southwestern, finish undergrad, undergrad's paid for. I'm debt-free spiritually and financially. Woo, Brooke. And I remember right before the summer before I'm supposed to move to seminary in August, um, my grandfather calls me. This is my dad's dad. And um, my grandparents are so supportive, so kind, love Jesus. He's the Sunday school teacher we referenced earlier. And he calls me, he says, Miss Brooke, do you want to come over to the house and visit? And I was like, oh, absolutely. So I drive over to his house and we're sitting and visiting in his sitting room and we're chatting. And he goes, now, if you don't mind me asking, how much is seminary going to cost? And I said, oh, granddaddy, I don't know. I haven't put a number on it. And he goes, no, no, don't. I know you've thought about it. I know you're going to work hard. Because I told him, I was like, I'm going to work and I'll go to school part time. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but the Lord told me to move and to go to school, so I'm going to move and go to school. Right. And he goes, okay. He goes, well, how much is it? And I said, I, I and he goes, I know you've stressed about it, and I know you know the number. So I tell him the number. And he gets up from where we're sitting, and he goes into his home office, and he brings back a blank check and a pen, and he sits down, and he says, um, he says, you clearly have a calling on your life and it's going to be hard and I'm so excited for you to say yes to it. And so my job is to help you say yes to that calling. That's my calling. And he wrote me a blank check. Are you serious? Yeah. And he paid for me to go to seminary. So the only reason I'm sitting here today and mm -hmm. um, in this city and at this church with a degree to my name and with no debt is because of my family. And so I, I tell that part of my story. And, and if he hears this, he's going to hate that that's out on the internet and the world can hear it. But that's okay. God is sovereign. Um, he's going to hate that people know that he did that. Um, I always think of him when I think of, you know, in Scripture, you know, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing and, and give with a cheerful heart and don't do it to be seen and don't pray all these big, you know, laborious prayers to be heard. That is my grandfather. He is just so humble and quietly faithful and has done more for the kingdom behind closed doors, I think, than anyone I know. Um, but yeah, I think a big theme in my story is just God's provision through my family and through 
them in me saying yes, they got to say yes too. And so no one ever gets where they are alone. Um, and I would hate mm-hmm. for people to think that Brooke Seal got here just because she's kind of funny and has a good personality. I got here because God is sovereign and because my family is kind. And so my family's faith and provision is a huge testament and huge part of my story. And I say that to say, um, if that's not the case for you, I pray that you know that the God of the universe loves you that way and provides in that way. And I pray that he surrounds you with people that will love you and finances are not everything, but I pray that God will surround you with people that will meet your needs and, and cheer you on and give you shoulders to stand on. Because I, I, we say this around Christ Chapel a lot. We stand on the shoulders of giants. I stand on the shoulders of giants. Um, and I'm really grateful. And I, I get to pursue women without worrying about certain things. And I get to give away my time and, and give away my resources because people have done that for me. Mm-hmm. So anything I'm doing that's half decent is because someone modeled it to me tenfold before I got to you to do it. Um, and so that's my prayer for people that hear this is that that's your story too and whichever way God works it mm-hmm. out. Um, and I think one of my favorite parts about being in ministry, and I'm sure we're close on time and can close with this maybe, um, but a big part of my story, and even now we kind of started with this, so it's fitting that we end here, is obviously what I do for a living is a huge part of my story. And um, I deeply, like I said, I deeply believe in the power of the local church and in the power of biblical community the church is the hope of the world, but to get there, it takes everyone saying yes. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to say yes with a blank check. You can say yes in a Sunday morning or in opening up your home or in taking that young girl that walks into church alone and sits next to you to coffee. Um, and I just, all the Lord needs is your yes. And because he's kind and gracious and creative, he gave you free will, so you can tell him no, but he invites you to say yes. And I just, my story is marked by other people saying yes. And I just, my prayer is that people that hear this, their story will be marked by saying yes to the Lord. And um, I just am deeply, deeply grateful for where the Lord has brought me. And I'm so grateful for this church and the community I find myself surrounded by. And, and even the city of Fort Worth has, I think, a really special gift in that there's a lot of really sweet, solid churches in this city. And they love and trust each other, which is really cool. And so um, I would love to see just the body of Christ as a whole grow in this city and, and, and influence this city. And, and, you know, we use this language at Christ Chapel, be, make, and reach. I, that's what I want. And I think the Lord over the years has woven in and out of my story just themes of community and support and, and being willing to ask for help and receive it and knowing that God made you to depend he did not make you to be independent and to be free-ranging. He made you to depend on Him and on other people, actually. Um, and He gave you limits. And um, something Kathy and I have talked a lot about. Mm-hmm. I make Kathy hang out with me off mic all the time. And something Kathy we and I— We have a blast. We have a blast. And, and we talk about real things. We talk about real things, usually my sin. Um, I bring it up. And Kathy is sweet to listen and to call it out when she sees it. But a theme in my life right now, I think, and a sweet— place to end on you know that's the thing too my story isn't over i'm still praise god walking with jesus I was thinking the same thing we've seen god yeah. at work in all these seasons of your life but he's work he's at work today yes and will be tomorrow and will be tomorrow and i'm so grateful um and your story's not either it's not over either friend i don't you know even if you've been through something really hard and 
and debilitating and, 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 and traumatic or, or deeply sad or even you're in a really sweet season. Like I, God's not done with you and still wants to grow you and teach you and, and, and be available to you. And so um, hear that. But I think I'm in a season where um, I'm learning a ton about my own limits and that limits are actually a really good thing, that they are God-given. Limits are not just a result of sin. Limits actually existed before the fall. If you go back to Genesis, um, like I did when I was 13. <laughs> Hopefully it'll go better for you. But um, God created you with limits and he created you to be a part of the body because you will bring things to the body of Christ that you belong to that no one else will. And he doesn't need you to bring what other people bring. He needs you to bring what you bring. And I think I'm learning a ton about that in this season. And it's really stirring my affection for the Lord and for his church. Mm. I loved you before this and I love you even more now. <laughs> I love your story. I love that you were so kind to point to the different things that God has done in different seasons of your life and just the encouragement that God is doing that in the lives of all of his children. And he is at work today. He's been at work. He will be at work tomorrow. And just it builds my faith to hear other people really just remember what God has done. Mm, I feel like that's a great word. I mean, basically, it's been a psalm, for lack of a better word, but it's a psalm of remembrance of what you have shared with us mm. over the course of this episode of here's what God did, here's what God did, here's what God did. And there's just, it's faith building and it's really encouraging to remember because something's going to happen today or tomorrow where you and I are going to be quick to forget. Mm. We're going to yeah. wonder. Yep. And so those markers of remembrance of how we've seen God at work in our lives and in other people's lives is so incredibly encouraging. And I'm so, so grateful that you would share that with us today. And I just love it. Mm. Well, thank you for having me. It's always a sweet, a sweet gift to be here. I love it. Okay, let me close with some prayer. God, you are so faithful. You have been faithful to Brooke Seal since the day that she was born, through her childhood, through her teenage years, through college, through seminary, now at Christ Chapel, and you're going to be faithful tomorrow. And God, you have been faithful to all of your children. You are so incredibly kind and good to us. God, in whatever season we are in, some of us may be in seasons of great joy or seeing answers to prayer. Some of us may be still praying for something we've prayed for for a long time. Some of us may be really wrestling with our sin and we're afraid to share that with someone else or shame or guilt or whatever it is. God, you are present. And I pray, first and foremost, you would draw our hearts to you and that you would draw each of us into sharing those joys and that pain with biblical community. And I just thank you for your faithfulness to us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more episodes, be sure to follow Encouraged and Equipped.